Hey, savages. Welcome to the Savages and Scholars. And the podcast has started. Welcome, everybody, to the Savages and Scholars. I am your host, host, Miguel Dominguez. And I'll let everybody else introduce themselves, except for you. I'll introduce you. Hey, guys. It's Marie. Hey, guys. Anthony over here. All right, and we, uh, to my right, I have Joe Foreman. Is that correct? Forsman, there's an S. Force, I knew it. Yeah, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> this is the worst introduction in the world. <laughs> well, you, George Foreman, he's also a dude from Houston, but we look a little different. Really? He's from Houston? I think so, man. Is he? Does anybody else know that? I think George Foreman, the boxer, yeah, I think his whole family is like lives in Houston. He might be. Really? Yeah. yeah. All his kids are named George. Yeah, I think there's a whole bunch of them on the north side that, yeah. All of them are named George as well? Yeah, what even, is going even on all the here? daughters. What? Oh, yeah. George the first. His daughters are named George. Brother. Georgina, huh? That's cool. Well, my, my sons are not named the same, and my last name has an S. And your name is Joe. Thank and you my name terrifying. is Joe. Yeah. <laughs> so we have some different, and we're just a little different complected. Okay, yeah. I mean, like George Foreman, obviously, I'm saying Forceman now. <laughs> I don't know which one's the correct one. It's all right. I like the Forceman Grills. Is yeah. that correct? I think that's good. Yeah, we'll call Isn't it, it that. Isn't it Foreman Grills? I'm sorry. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Those grills are actually pretty nice. Yes. I have one. They're, they're not bad at all. They're like my favorite type of like grilling because it's easy. Just It's fast. It's like the ultimate bachelor invention is what it is. Yes. It really is. It really is. The it, fact that it came from a guy that's suffering from CTE. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I'm assuming that if it wasn't, if he he would have came up with some other type of computer, yeah. Yeah. We were watching the Super Bowl on Sunday, and like we're just seeing these dudes ramming to each other. We're like, oh, there's the CT right there. Every time. You know, as exciting as that game is to watch, at some moments, granted, there's 39 seconds in between each play. Mm-hmm. That's like the ultimate and kill entertainment for me that doesn't work anything else if you have 39 seconds in between but if you had 39 seconds in between each like line in a sitcom mm-hmm. no yeah. one would stay tuned you know so it's something that happens in football where people are able to actually enjoy those lulls and i just can't get into it i don't feel like it's at all exciting for me however i can watch a great like athlete who enjoys what they do and they're a real pro that Mahomes dude was he works hard man oh, yeah. he's great who's Mahomes? I don't really know. I don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really know who he is, but I I saw how he played and he he went hard, man. The guy moved gracefully. And he seemed like he was just about it, you know? I can appreciate that. I mean, the Chiefs, like, just came back right away after the second half, so that was really cool. I don't watch football either because of that reason. Like, I I just can't get into it. It kills all the momentum. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, we only watched it this summer on for the halftime show. So like, that was good enough reason to watch this Super yeah. Bowl. I don't care who you are. That was like, actually, the only people that are really upset are like semi-diabetic older white women. Yep. You know, yeah, who yeah. might be a little bit heavy and really insecure and say, you know, that was such a horrible show. It's I don't, just, I didn't. This didn't, isn't family friendly. This isn't family friendly. <laughs> They're so old. Why are they dancing around Why like that? Why did they bring Janet Jackson back? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I actually set up a square board for a... Uh, 
And another wardrobe malfunction. That was my squares that I set up. You set up squares for like the Super Bowl points, I guess. Yes. Well, I didn't understand that. So I set up an alternate board with a wardrobe malfunction. And it, we got close at one point with Jennifer Lopez's thing, but her, her... The bedazzle? Yeah, but nothing really solid. So no one ended up winning the, the squares. Dude, you know, like there's this, um, there's this thing that happens that like, it's called the Mandela effect, right? I don't know if you guys ever heard of it, mm-hmm. yes. but it's basically, you know, the idea is when did Nelson Mandela die, right? Mandela, right? And some people say that he died in 2009, right? But a lot of other people, and I think most of the storyline says that he died way later, like in 2015 or so. Um, the thing is, the story, the thing behind that is just like, there's a lot of things that are like that where a lot of people see it in one way and they're like, well, those people are from one, you know, one line, one timeline. And then something crazy happened and then everything shifted to a different timeline. Um, that's called a Steinsgate, by the way. Um, it's also a cartoon. This is interesting. I've just been reading about uh, this thing called the simulation theory. Yes. Oh, yeah. And that is essentially what you're talking about, is you can simulate yourself into variables, uh, into various timelines, and um, really everything is just a simulation. And we've simulated ourselves. And then the one thing that I think really gives it some credence now is the fact that we think we're in the first generation of VR goggles, of virtuality, you know, gaming. Mm-hmm. What if that's our simulation within a simulation? And I'm not sure that I agree with all of the theory, but it was an audible book, so I was able yeah. to you got listen it to it. Yeah, I got it for free and listened to it on the way to work. <laughs> so I consider myself an expert. <laughs> yeah. But it does, it, it's, I think that more and more people are coming across that idea and really just kind of, you know, trying to philosophically absorb it in their own mind because there's so many different influences in the world right now that are simulating realities. In fact, that's what we want to do. I think that we want to simulate so much that if you were to be the best investor, you would invest in the company that's getting as close to possible as downloading your conscience. Yes. And once they're able to download your conscience, you live forever. So if there's a company that's trying to go, there's a couple, you know, um, companies that are making like AI chip accelerators and some different, uh, you know, just technologies that Supposedly, are going to be able to really advance, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and get closer to this idea that we can actually save our conscience repetitively. Yeah. And then maybe, if we can download a conscience, what stops someone from uploading it into someone else? This well, just screams like Black Mirror episodes. It like, does. It just... What does it? Black, Black Mirror. Black Mirror. What's it's that? An anthology series on Netflix Ooh. that basically takes a lot of futuristic slash techno technological like stories and puts it in different ideas like the whole idea of yeah. downloading unconscious and putting it into someone else or into something else yeah there's multiple episodes about that like oh, the developments of it there's got to be at this point because there's so many people that are thinking about that yeah there really is um, and there's so many people that are actively doing it too. They're uploading their own conscience into simulated games on on you know not necessarily in a true, like, upload your conscience into the Xbox, but they're sitting there for 
days on end sometimes just playing this game. They're completely attached to it. There's mentally. people like Scott That's Adams. Crazy. I don't know if you know who he is, but um, uh, he's the inventor of Dilbert. Yeah, yeah, Dilbert, oh, yeah. the little comic strip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So he has like this thing. It's way too smart for me. I never understand it. You know what? Well, he's like a smart dude. <laughs> Same. <laughs> he's a smart dude in general. Um, and um, he has this idea that he says that in the future people are going to be able to uh, recreate somebody's consciousness or just recreate their likelihood based upon your, your presence, you know, how you reacted in terms of like, you know, I guess like, let's just say in the future, let's just say a thousand years from now, our, you know, alien and so, you know, I guess predecessors or postecessors. I don't know what they would be called. Might be both. Uh, oh, oh, God. <laughs> you never know what timeline you're yeah. on, man. In any case, <laughs> what's happening in this situation is like they, they can actually recreate you based upon your presence online. Oh, yeah. Right? So what he's doing, he's doing this thing where like he's like posting all of his ideas and how he feels about a whole bunch of stuff in a way, in a, in a format of kind of like some immortalization that he's doing and you know just kind of copying himself onto the internet and it's how he looks at it so it's like a really interesting format um well they're doing something similar like there's been there's been companies have you ever got if you guys have ever seen uh something else i saw on netflix man netflix is just running everything yeah but uh they might be behind all of this you never know i had a theory that the coronavirus is a creation of netflix that's interesting. Yes, because every time I log into Netflix now, there's the first thing I see is something called plague preventing an outbreak. That's the first <laughs> documentary that comes scaring up. You, huh? And it's like, whoa. And I, I went into this whole conspiracy theory of my own that like maybe Netflix did this as a marketing ploy. They put out the coronavirus to spread it around, get everybody crazy and hyped up, and then you log on to Netflix to get away from it. And, and then that's, that's the first thing, thing you see. Yeah. Like, oh, I got to check this out. How do we prevent it? Or maybe even more pernicious, they actually did it backwards, which would be even, you know, probably more realistic, but mm-hmm. a lot more darker, right? They're taking advantage of something that's crazy. You know, they're taking advantage of people's fear and mm. then just instilling it double, yeah. right? They're like, hey, look what's happening. Yeah. You might be, you know, oh, you live in America. You might want to know a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. And um, well, the combination of love and fear is lethal. So, if you can at all, it, it just it'll motivate a person to do incredible things if they're afraid they're going to lose something they love and truly love. Not just like oh, I love my you know car, I love my new couch. Like a person, like something they're passionate about. There, it's their life. Uh, then, if you know, you can somehow incite the idea that they're going to lose forever someone or something that they truly love, then I think people will be willing to do anything you want them to do. And including, like, it's lethal. That is a lethal combination to influence people with. They will literally kill for it. Yeah. So um, that's, uh, and, and it's sad that, that the power of those two pieces is used in politics, it's used in just, in, in programming it's used to merchandise it's so powerful that it sells those love Mm -hmm. and fear Mm -hmm. especially put together yeah yeah it's It's nasty 
they get fear and loathing in Las Vegas and well that's a different animal it's <laughs> <laughs> totally different <laughs> no but I was saying like they're actually kind of doing something similar to that where they're already there I can't remember what company it was but there was a company that basically helped politicians in their campaigns by collecting data from Facebook for example seeing what people are clicking on seeing what people are you know whatever data they can do like those quizzes you see people do it's basically personality profiles mm -hmm. and based on that information that they get they create a personality profile of you and then with that they determine if you're gonna vote left if you're gonna vote right like how you're, you're more inclined to vote and then with that information they'll target ads to you that feeds into the side you're already leaning on so if you're leaning to the right they'll pump you with like ads and stuff from the right wing and it'll you know just reinforce you and just put you in an echo chamber reinforcing your ideologies that you already have and yeah. all your biases hmm. that's, what, that's what facebook uh, got put onto a uh, trial yeah yeah yeah, yeah they got put up the trial for that and then they zuckerberg came out and said no that's because we're good at what we do <laughs> yes. We built yeah. these algorithms yeah. to market, and that's why people pay us. We're a marketing agency. We, mm -hmm. we, you know, we do advertisements. Dude, that's, that was crazy. Like the questions that they were asking Mark Zuckerberg, and it, it was just so weird because, like, you could tell that like, there was a giant disconnect between the old generation. Oh and, my gosh! And, like, yeah. They, they were like, "Are you tracking me right now?" It's just like well, the, the do you pun have Facebook, sir. <laughs> The <laughs> if so, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> then we are. We got you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But um I guess of our topics, leadership, it seems like I've got zero problem with what Zuckerberg's doing. Everyone should know. Yeah. yeah. You're uploading every piece of information about yourself, pictures, family, everything. You have the choice to do that. Mm -hmm. And you're using his service. He's just going to keep working on that, make it better. Yeah. So. Make it better, make it better. And then, because you're loading up all of these things that are your natural interests, right? these are things that this algorithm that we have studies and looks at, then we're going to use it to market towards you. Maybe this is something you need. Maybe it's a positive thing. Maybe you, you know, are, need an air fryer. You know, maybe you need something healthy. Maybe you need uh, something that's going to improve your life. So maybe you need um, one of those shirts that say it's a Dominguez thing. Maybe that's what you need. Have you guys seen that shirt? No, no. Uh, obviously, because it's my Facebook. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure that I've heard other people say that they've seen the shirts that, that you know, that basically just they're just like gearing it specific towards you. It's just How many it's Dominguez a enforcement you know? thing, you know? Yeah. How many Dominguez do you know? I haven't. I have. I think I. I'm the only Dominguez that I know. <laughs> I, I've known several Dominguezes. <gasps> what? Yeah. I knew an Augie Dominguez. I think I knew a Pedro Dominguez. What did Pedro Dominguez do? He didn't do anything. At least <laughs> Pedro didn't do anything. He was the neighbor of my friend in Miami, and from what I could tell, he just worked out at the gym. He didn't do anything. Hey, you know we have something in common. <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> Real high producer. And I knew a guy named, uh, I think his name was Jim Dominguez, Jim. which was a little weird. Honestly, I was not expecting that. It was Javier. It was Javier. Javier. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably right. Yeah. Just, just call me Jim. It makes it easier over Jim. the phone calls. Mm. 
So um, on our topics board, we have leadership. Yes. I think we kind of talked a little bit about that with Zuckerberg. That's true. <laughs> no, but- And then just the disconnect in what you were talking about. Um, Originally? Is... No, the disconnect in what the senators and the political pundits and the older generation had when they were trying to ask him questions that all of us younger people all knew the answers to. Yeah. It wasn't like we were confused. Yeah, he's doing that. Mm-hmm. Next. <laughs> yeah. We know it. Yeah. He's, what's the next question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's the next? Yeah. So I think that that's kind of an interesting piece and as a testament to people who are actually good leaders, they understand how to bridge that gap very, very well in both ways. Yeah, they at least are trying to like <clears throat> to be proactive and not staying behind, or you know, not letting anybody else stay behind. That's what a good leader does. Yeah, at least in my opinion. Well, um, go ahead. Yeah, and they know how to get everyone working on the same team. Whether they like each other or not, they understand that there's mutually beneficial goals and that these goals are going to you know, help the unit. And so if you can um, somehow foster some sort of a team uh, unity, then, you know, well, let's say this. Baby boomers hate millennials. Yeah. Yeah. We call do, them- do we have any? Will anyone point. deny that? <laughs> no. 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 And it, why? Well, baby boomers look at leadership like you show up before your entire workforce, 5 a.m., stay there all day, sacrifice your family, sacrifice going home, but it's your career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the ultimate. Yeah. And then millennials right? are and, like, uh... Well, they inherited that from the greatest generation, you know, yeah. the, the post-World War II idea. Mm-hmm. Now... Millennials who are very intelligent, highly educated, technologically savvy, and entrepreneurs just irritate the heck out of baby boomers because they don't think that that's appropriate to be successful. They don't think going to work, sacrificing all the family, and staying there in that career, in that isolation, in that, I guess... That path? That path is what brings them ultimate success and happiness in life. And I have to agree with them because that's not happiness. That's not anything. So the true leader in that place, whether it's a baby boomer or a millennial or a Generation X or any of these people within that gap, is to understand that, yeah, your work-life balance is going to be different whether you're in, in what, depending on the individual you are, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be different. Now, how do we get the most productivity out of everyone um, within that same equation, right? Um, Because, yeah, they have to do this work, they have to produce, they have to do uh, certain things in order to make sure that their job and their company or their livelihood exists. Um, But what really do they have to sacrifice? Can we figure out how to have people satellite work from home with the technology we have? Absolutely we can. Can we see how to totally transform how people live and work and relate, then absolutely we can do that. But it's going to take certain leaders getting people on board with a unified message to say, hey, things are changing, let's change with it, and then keep these goals, you know? So Yang 2020, is that what I'm hearing? No, man, I don't vote for any of these guys because they have n- not one of them deserves my voice, but um, I think that 
and that's the truth. They haven't, what, these Democrats can't even figure out how to not rob Bernie Sanders. They can't Come figure on. out how to not rob each other. They're like, yeah. they're like all trying to pull themselves down like crabs in a bucket, you know? They're rough, man. They're rough. They can't even figure out who won Iowa. And then, you know, this other dude is something else, too. So I don't think that it's like a political answer. I don't think that that's even leadership. I think that's manipulation of a giant group of people. I think that individual leaders, yeah, individual leaders in our society are going to like, you know, Elon Musk, this guy's yeah, I think just thinking of great things to do and, right and now, bridging gaps. Right know? now we're in a position where it's very easy to have someone who could just be just a little bit charismatic and be just a little bit of all the good stuff or all the bad stuff. It, like, it depends. Right now, we are actually very available. America is very available for a cult. Oh, yeah. We're, we're 100%. Like, if somebody just came in with the right amount of swagger, I'm sure that a cult will get built up like nothing. I'm ready. Uh, also, on the other side of that coin, we're also kind of like ready for somebody to believe in, right? So, you know, like some kind of Superman of some sort. And a lot of people kind of putting that on Elon right now. Like Elon is doing his hardest to to pick up the slack. I'll counter that with this. Elon just put out a, a, a song. He put out a single. He did. <laughs> like, wow. I did not know that. Yeah, it was like an it was like an EDM, EDM song. Yes. Really? No yes. way. He put out an EDM <laughs> song with his vocals. It's called uh, "Don't Doubt Your Vibe." Yeah, don't that's doubt awesome. Your vibe. It's yeah. a good. I mean, how many singles have you put out lately? I haven't put out any singles. Oh, You're you right. You're too busy on your multi-billion-dollar companies, right? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you? SpaceX saying? has me wrapped up. I can't even do a single anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's all, so, the, it's all the editing and photoshopping for this so podcast. Uh, that's why I haven't been wow. able to put out a single. It's understandable. Yeah. My boy Elon Musk is running two multi-billion-dollar companies and busting out with some singles on SoundCloud. He's a SoundCloud rapper, as he is everything else. I think he's put out two songs now. He has. He put a uh, Harambe. What's um, I think he put out the song called "We Miss You, Harambe." I think it was called. That's right. Oh, that yeah, is, a while ago. Okay. Yeah, and I, they. For some reason, I didn't know who released that, but now I know. Makes sense. Is it good? Uh, you know what? What is good? Is it good? Well, I mean, good it was subjective. made by our techno. <laughs> yeah, Jesus? it's it's very subjective, right? Yeah. Um, it it was made by the techno Jesus, so I would say, yeah, it's kind of good. Kind of. <laughs> you Elon know, like Musk. in the future, a thousand years from now. We're gonna look at back at I, I like uh, Elon Musk, not like Thomas Edison, not like an Einstein. They might even say they might even replace the word Einstein with Musk. You know. <laughs> I just don't feel like that's gonna happen. I don't no, think Musk Elon, is. Elon Musk is such a meme to me. He's like a shit poster. He reminds me. He's a shit poster of money. He reminds me of that guy. A uh, what? A shit poster. Do you know what a shit poster is? Shit or ship? Shit. No, I don't know what that is. A shit poster is like someone who goes online and just posts like memes <clears throat> and like stupid stuff. Man, I totally misunderstood that. I thought you meant like a poster that goes on a wall that's just, just like shit. got shit, shit on it. Yeah. And I was like, no. I don't, I don't no. see that selling. <laughs> that's not, that's not a good plan. That's not a very good idea, Elon. No. Who Elon, knows? He might have one, one of those. He might have one. With he, the way that he evolves shit, like you know. Yeah. That, that's like instead of a blackboard, he has a shit post. Human feces. Don't you find beauty in it? Yeah. Uh, it's art. 
That's it's the Mona crazy. Lisa. What would you say? What would you say to that situation? It's just like, this is my most prized possession. You know, it just points at this shit post. It makes sense. And you're like, oh, fuck. How do I even tell Elon that this is Everybody bullshit. he goes into his house has to contribute. I have an interesting story. I went into this house in Costa Rica when I, I went down there for a short stint to try and... Not Hawaii? No, in Costa Rica to try and sell different land developments and different stuff. Um, and I walked into this guy's place. We were doing some business. And he shows me around his place. And I walk into this other little like studio part of his house. It was this giant mansion that overlooked all of San Jose. And we go in there, and he's got all sorts of just spread eagle pictures of his wife, who was walking around the house with us. And <laughs> just all over the house. And I was like, what? Trying not to look. And he's like, oh, no, look, it's all right. These are my most prized possessions. And he would started to show what me i got so weird he was like we took this at the beach and in papagayo we took this one over here wow. and i'm just like trying to enjoy the conversation wow. as we're looking at just some of the wildest pictures of his wife now you're just you like looking <laughs> oh, and glancing man. over to the wife like huh nah crazy. they were like 65 years old i mean oh, geez. it wasn't it wasn't like it was fun for me, man. It was not an exciting experience at oh. all. For some reason, I imagine the couple being like in their 30s, 40s. Yeah. Like... I maybe should have started with their age. Yes, yeah. probably. But I'm glad, or maybe I should have just never said anything about it. <laughs> it would have left you all with a much better idea. I it actually was... like how her way it was. You know, I mean, I'm okay with this. This guy has the confidence. No, he, he was. He brings people in here knowing the reaction that they're going to bring mm -hmm. because he's probably had it more than once. You weren't the first person there. And this guy, I bet you that's his power play. He's just say, please step into my office. We can finish talking over there. And he's just pictures. seven pictures of his wife. No more than seven, dude. There was no, at least 50. Office. There was Jeez. at least 50 all around the top of the wall before it hit the were they, roof. Like, were they pictures or paintings? Pictures in wow. like black and white, excellent photography, great photo like beautiful photography I, in I like great them. frames. It, they were well done pictures. Like <laughs> the photography was wonderful. It was just the images were a little bit <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe if I walked into that room alone inside, I would have been all right. But I walked into it with them. Yeah. Yeah, that makes it it's extra the first awkward. thing you notice. You know, huh, I'm in a room full of it's the men's most pictures of these possessions. people naked. Yeah. You think he's gonna show it off? I liked it. Good call. He should have showed it off. I'm, I'm proud I, I of like him. I like that guy. You know, that guy's yeah. a straight shooter. I mean, he, you could have asked that guy how your haircut was. That reminds me of like when they're when they're looking into Jeffrey Epstein's house and they found that. That picture, you know, the the painting of Bill, of Clinton? Bill Clinton? Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's crazy, huh? Really? Yeah. They was... found a painting of Bill Clinton wearing some weird outfit, right? He was wearing, like, what ladies' underwear. Hell? He was wearing, like, panties, a bra and panties. Was yeah. it an actual picture? No, yeah, it was an actual painting. It was a painting, <laughs> not a picture. Okay. Yeah, a it painting. was just a painting of him. I don't think that makes Still it better. weird. <laughs> <laughs> Still very, very weird. weird. I'll, I'll take a painting over a picture. <laughs> I can just imagine him and Clinton out on his island, loaded up on cocaine, listening to EDM, and just tearing through about 29 year old African girls yeah I could definitely that, that sounds to me like what they probably do man the sickest and then the, you see the prince from oh, Prince Andrew UK yeah. it yeah. turns out he's like they have him going in and out of that dude's house like all the time Damn. he's just a buddy of his no I didn't know him yeah. whatever you lived what? with him for a week what do you mean <laughs> yeah what that yeah. wasn't me they have him leaving the house with women too 
Mm-hmm. That is so crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, huh? Uh, I bet you the family is going to, you know, stab that guy. A house that Epstein was gifted? So it turns out Epstein actually wasn't an investor. He was just the most expert blackmailer of all time. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, he would, like, get people to come to his parties and take pictures of them with underage girls and basically, like, totally blackmail him. Yeah. He would hook you in with one small petty crime and then he would make you commit a bigger crime. Well, by the time he had you at his island, I think you're pretty much it. How many crimes do you have to commit to get to the island? Yeah. Gosh. I, I think he just takes you on the I plane. I think if he likes you, then he'll be like, yeah, just come on. Yeah. I, I like you. You're a good blackmail friend. Yeah. I think, come with me. Come on my plane. All right, all right. Let's go, Epstein. Come on, yeah, Bill. Let's do this. Come on, Bill. You know, let's go. I'm sure that come this on, will never Bill. come back on us. Yeah, no one's ever going to know. That's crazy, man. <laughs> you would never kill yourself, right? Imagine Epstein. <laughs> Why do you always say that? Why do you always <coughs> say that you would never kill yourself, Epstein? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Epstein and Bill Clinton like on an island, like you were saying, but like they're like on Molly just raving. That's pretty much what yeah. I imagined. That's right. how I think that this whole thing went down. It was just a, I mean, giant drug-induced, disgusting, rich person, just filthiness. Oh, by the way, Jeff, I'm peeking. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your Bill Clinton impression? That's a terrible Bill Clinton. I don't oh. know. Who is the Japanese voice? <laughs> no, the ja- I can't do the Japanese it. voice. Don't Not on air. I can't do the Japanese one on air. <laughs> you have officially made Bill Clinton the comeback kid. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what he said? That was his first big line, huh? When he went really? to New Hampshire. Oh. I think so, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, I have a, a Molly story. Um, oh, jeez. So, <laughs> it's actually not that bad. The, the, the thing is just like, um, I, I went to a party. Uh, not to a party. I went to this, to this club with my friends. And they were like, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't going to drink because I don't really drink. But they did give me, you know, like, a, like uh, one of the Molly pills, right? And I took it. Now this was some time ago, so I wouldn't I wouldn't take it anymore because I would just probably test drugs. I have to I go through a rigorous progress process now of doing anything to get into my body. But at that time, I didn't really care. Nice. So I went ahead and did it. And uh, this was right after the shooting uh, that they happened at that gay nightclub. Oh, right. in Florida. In Florida. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. It had it, it, that had just happened like two three weeks afterward, and I was there. And um, you were there at that club. I was not there at that club. Oh, I would have stopped it. I was in a club. You were in a club. Another gay night club. No, No. (laughs) sorry. But I have been at at a gay night club. Were you with Jeffrey in that night club? No, not yet. What about Mr. Williams? (laughs) You weren't with Jeffrey or Bill. (laughs) No, he did not invite me to his. No, okay, continue on the Molly. Okay, so I'm having a good time. I mean, I, at first, you know, it kind of feels a little bit, you feel it in your body. And the way that I can say, you know, and the way that I think it felt, it felt like my whole body was screaming with happiness, right? Like it was just like, I was happy and ecstatic. And it, I can really see where the name comes from. But like what I truly felt overall was like, like love for everything. I literally felt empathy and love for everything and it was so crazy because i it was just like i I, w- I was feeling everything that everybody else was feeling so like i felt really happy because everybody else in the club was really happy right and i and there was a moment in time uh that the, the i was next to some middle eastern guys right and 
somebody made a comment towards them and I hurt them. And it hurt me. It hurt me to hear them say that, to, to say about whatever, you know, because hmm. like those guys were definitely feeling it at that one time. So, um, yeah. It, I felt well, sad. I felt sad about that. Happiness and sadness, huh? The full yeah. emotional spectrum on Molly. Oh, yeah. It was. I also felt scared because uh, oh, wow. somebody else was driving. And uh, I was just like, this guy's not fit to drive. And I, I'm not fit to drive either. So I can't tell him, hey, let me drive. It was such a bad night in that, in that regard. But overall, it was a good night. <laughs> I survived. Well... I think you successfully just scared a lot of people off from Molly. God, hey, I hope so. I, I don't think it's. Hope so. I don't think that it's actually supposed to be done. Nah. Because it would seem to me that it releases so much dopamine mm-hmm. that it, you know, you can only do it a couple times before there's like None. really lasting effects. So, yeah, there's so, a. Go ahead. Okay, so do you have any information on? Because I do have some information about that. Well, people. it releases a lot of serotonin, and I know that like the day after you do it, you're just dead. Yes. Like you're numb, and I th- I think really? actually yeah I know I know a lot of people who go to raves and stuff and do that and all that, and you know they started when they were younger, and I now it's like we're in our. 23 24 we're starting to get up in that age you know and people started like 17 18 19 early 20 like 21 whatever now it's crazy because like you see like the levels of like depression and mental illness and younger people rising Mm -hmm. i think it may have in part the the i think the use of drugs at an early age may have that impact definitely yes because you're depleting your brain of all the serotonin you're just pumping it and pumping it and it's like, for example, like with steroids, you're pumping your body full of testosterone. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point when you're older, your body stops producing tests. I think it's something similar like that. You're producing, you're pumping in so much serotonin that your brain just doesn't know how to produce it anymore. Right. Yeah, you do get something called a neurotoxicity. There you go. It is not actually proven yet. So we don't know whether or not this is actually true, but there's enough, you know... Evid- not there's enough like what's it called that evidence is like where hearsay I forgot this. anecdotal evidence anecdotal evidence there's enough anecdotal evidence to say that you probably might want to not do this very often or ever or ever yeah I'm pretty much good with ever yeah I don't ever want to mess with that too. yeah so, I don't ever want to mess with that that nah. seems like anything that's made in a lab I would man I just don't no, like the do they have a certificate of analysis that you get or it scares me because what kind of a you know killer is making it i don't know i mean and if it were made in my clandestine lab i might be cool with it but i don't make molly in mine not yet <laughs> so I'm joking you're, you're a chemical engineer right yes how like tell us a little bit about that like i don't do anything with chemical engineering i do everything with environmental um and of course, there's certain pieces of chem- uh, just chemistry that you have to know um, to do a job in in the petrochem industry, right? And you have yes. to have certain chemi- chemistry foundation. But um, yeah, I uh, am the environmental health, safety, and security manager um, for our site here in in Houston, and then I do security for our uh, entire North American region. So, so, could you tell us what exactly is the goal of your, uh, I, I guess, how do you use your skill? Yeah, I uh, establish systems 
within my company to or within my site, my company to one do inspections, uh, uh, accumulate data, and then trend that data according to certain principles. So, uh, and of course, we have all sorts of systems to be able to do that. But really, what my big piece is is I'm trying to be a custodian of the environment. I'm trying to make sure that what we do on our site never impacts the people around it, the community around it, or the employees that work there, right? And so that also includes making sure that we don't have, you know, sabotage, terrorism, um, things like that happen to our site, theft of particular explosive chemicals or uh, these kind of issues. Um, so that's a huge security piece. Uh, and then the environmental pieces, you don't want to have spills, you don't have leaks, releases, air releases. And so I try and mitigate all that and make sure that it doesn't happen. That's really what my job is. And I've worked at um, doing that. I've, I would say that there's two sites that I've worked at that have been, they're legitimately the worst sites in America. One doesn't even exist anymore. And the other one is, uh, it was formerly BP, Texas City. Now it's Marathon. Uh, they had explosions down there. They had all sorts of stuff, and that's what actually brought me down here was to work on that refinery and oh, wow. uh, help oh, do. So a, you were here with the big oil spill? Yeah, man, I was here at the oil spill. I was here right after the Texas City explosion. Um, I was here for uh, several benzene releases and some Jeez. situations down there in Texas City, and then I moved Wasn't up. Wasn't it once just too long ago? Well, I don't know. I'm out of there. Thank God. Um, that's a serious place. I mean, it's one of the biggest refineries in the country, and it's old. Yes. So there's a lot of residual and uh, just heritage contamination that you constantly have to deal with anytime you take the top layer of soil off the ground in those industrial settings. Um, because anytime you take, you know, those chemicals that are underneath the top layer of soil or the, the cap start to, you know, release into the air. So if you think about the benzenes and all of the uh, carcinogens and just nasty chemicals you get it at refineries, then yeah, that's what you have to deal with there. After that, I went to um, a place that was called MEMC, Sun Edison. You can Google it. It was the largest um, producer, largest builder of uh, renewable energy on the globe at one point. But what I did was I worked at a site that built uh, high purity polysilicone and we processed it. Well, it's just the base is you have to make this thing called silane gas, which is, um, pyrophoric. It explodes as soon as it hits air. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was like, you knew you had a leak of that because it was a gas and it would release and it was on fire as soon as it touched air. So with that meant that you had just so many safety, wild environmental concerns. Um, when I was there, I think that two or three times I got to work and a helicopter was already there life flighting someone out. Wow. That's crazy. How many zombie apocalypse have you stopped? <laughs> yeah, man. The thing about, you know, what I do is I try and set up systems for the environment, for safety and security that protect people, protect our environment, protect where we do our work. That said, you know, there's always um, a risk. And, you know, 
doing that risk, you, you know, you have to train people to understand that risk and being able to calculate and understand it whenever they do their jobs. But at the same time, many uh, human beings, you know, after you've driven, let's put it this way. The first time you guys drove 70 miles an hour, how was it? Scary. Scary as hell. Crazy. You were like, I'll, I'm going to go back on Fuqua, you know, let's get off 45. But after a while, you're kind of cavalier. You're texting, driving 75, you know, oh, I got to change the song, driving 75, you know. So you become, and in your work, it's the same way. So when you work in a really dangerous setting, people kind of get a little bit numb to it. Mm. And then you always have to make sure that those uh, controls are in place. People are constantly being trained and retrained to understand the risk of their job. Um, so that's what I do in terms of safety and helping people in environment. I think I've already talked a little bit about that, but that's what I do now. Fortunately, um, Sun Edison went bankrupt. Not, not fortunately, unfortunately. Fortunately for me, because gosh, it was so scary. Um, not fortunate for so many of those. I, I had to watch, I think, 140 people walk out the door one day because they just cut them. Done. The company went bankrupt. And then they left like some environmental people there and some other folks there that we had to basically clean up the site. Um, and then I left after about four months of that. But it was, uh, everyone heard about Solyndra going bankrupt during the Obama administration? Well, I think Sun Edison was like two or three times the size of Solyndra. That's crazy. It was a huge company, went totally under. Yeah. So anyways, that's, uh, that's how I got to where I'm here at this particular uh, job. And that's what I do. However, I will say, and I just had a kind of a realization, you know, man, I don't think that this is at any point what I thought it would be to have a job and a salary and benefits. When I was growing up, I let a lot of baby boomers, a lot of Generation X people tell me, you've got to go to this school, you've got to get this good education, you've got to do these things, and then you've got to get this job and this salary, and you're going to need insurance. Mm -hmm. They basically convinced me that I needed to be a part of their game. Yeah. Right. Work the nine to five. Before I even knew it was a game and a hustle, right? So... Within 18 months, I'm going to quit my job and just coach wrestling and jujitsu and compete and work out and spend time with my kids. Um, because, you know, I've, as I just said, I've seen so many people spend so much time at work and end up maimed um, with cancer, mm -hmm. you know, sick, yeah. tired, just tired to where time. they have missed their entire kids grow up. And now they go home and sit down and watch the news. Because yeah. that's the only thing that is like alive for them. And um, I don't think that I can exist that way. I don't think anyone can. I think that the people that have done it are just numb to it now. And they've let someone tell them that this is how it goes. Maybe there are people out there that just want to be operators in a plant. And I think that's very noble. Maybe there's people out there that want to be... Uh, you know, toll booth workers. Maybe there's people out there that want to do that. And those are all jobs that need to get done for sure. But man, I can't, I can't play that game anymore. I think a lot of people are waking up to that. Yeah. They're understanding that it is a game and you don't have to take part in it. You just don't, man. You really don't. You, don't. you can figure out 
especially with the global, like what social media has done is you can self-market your passion. And if it's a cool thing, I think that there's people in the world that are going to buy in. Oh, yeah. You can globally collect now and yeah. connect to, to everything around the world. and But you can also connect locally, Yeah, which is so much better for what you need. Right. Because everything is local, you know? Yeah. Unless you're trying to create this giant company, like a global company. Most people, you just want to create something local, help your community, you know? Yeah, that's what I've always noticed. Serve your family, noticed. serve your community. I've always noticed that about Dominican Republic. I always felt that, like, over there, everybody kind of had, like, this, like, the locality is definitely small in terms of, like, businesses. Like, businesses are over, like, there's, like, a shop every five steps. Yeah. People are just trying to make it there, you know? Right. And a lot of the time, people over there are so chill. They're just so chill. They'll, like, go to sleep at from, like, 12 to 1. They're like, all right, we're going to take a siesta. They'll yeah. literally have siestas. That's a mm-hmm. real thing. You know, it's a real thing, in, I think, in Europe, too. <laughs> Spain, uh, maybe. Spain. Yeah. So what, what I actually think is going to happen, um, you know, like, I think more and more people are just becoming aware of this, right? They're becoming aware of, of you know, how ridiculous it is to follow the norms and the traditions. And we do because it's there, because that's already the game that was put in place, yeah. right? So you just kind of follow the trend because it's the easiest thing to do. Yeah, no. yeah it, conditioned to do to do so growing up. I think, I yeah. I would say it's not just conditioned. You also agree. You also agree to be part of it. It's like the, at no point, no one has ever told you to not leave. Like you, at any one point, any one person could just get up and leave. That is the best possible feeling that someone could have and it's just and a lot of times people need to get fired for that to happen yeah but the unbearable lightness of being is generally too much for people to bear you know it's and that's fine i mean there's gonna be that chaos there's a there's always gonna be a little chaos and i feel like a lot of that is because people put a lot of attention to certain uh i guess things that they expect from themselves they expect a certain amount of like like a certain amount of success. If I do not have what this guy has, I obviously failed at life. You know, if I don't have like you said the insurance and then the, you know yeah. the salary, I failed at life. And a lot of people, you know, like I I've met surfers, you know, that basically like all they do is like sell trinkets during the day, and then they like surf, you know, like the rest of the day. And, yeah. You know, whenever they need money, they sell some more trinkets. And it's just crazy because I'm like, what is your plan? What is? They're like, this is the plan. <laughs> this is what I'm doing. And then I'm like, well, what's going to happen in the future? It's like, well, we'll see what's going to happen then. I'm like, you know what? I kind of like that. Yeah. It's kind of cool. It's a little bit crazy, yeah. but kind of cool. I think that what really just totally shook me and convinced me was probably two things. One was I had a friend that I grew up with. He's got four kids, or he had four kids, and he just died of, you know, quickly. Random mm. disease killed him. He's yeah. like 37 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm from my hometown. So that was kind of like, man, why, in, why on earth would you so cold-heartedly plan for Social Security and your 401k when there's no guarantee you're going to even get that far. Yeah. 
You know, don't let someone rope you in on an idea that's 30 years away. Um, yeah, plan. Yeah, make sure you can take care of yourself, but and have a skill set that you know will work. And uh, but, gosh, man, I just don't see how people can continue to buy into this idea that they need to work so long so they can get Social Security at 65 and then die six years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know we talked about this in the last podcast too. We we're talking about living in the moment and creating the day that you want to actually live. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm stressing it again because I feel like it's a very important thing to do. Like, it's, I mean, you may be stuck in a grut, right? And let's just say that most people, 80% of people, I think I remember seeing the statistic, are, are not happy with their jobs. They're not happy with their life in the way that it's going um, because they just feel kind of trapped. And I feel like that. Not everybody has the ability to just be like, in a year and a half, I'm going to become a coach. But what they can do is that they can actually build their life slowly, right? You can be like, all right, what is it that I really want to do? And then you go ahead and just do that today. You do that today. You're like, I like going to the park. Well, let's just add that to the routine. Yeah, there's going to be some sacrifices made, but you're going to go to the park and it's something that you want to do. And I mean, and I say that because I have something that I particularly did myself, like going to the park is actually one of my favorite things to do. I like going to the park. I like walking around. Oh, it's like a 30 minute thing. But like I always, you know, whenever I don't do it, I just feel kind of bad. I feel kind of like, you know, like every time I go to the park, I feel good. And I I decided to add that into the into the mix of things. It's more Janet's idea, but. No, that's okay. a good plan, I think. Uh, you can take your cat and walk your cat. Is that a thing? Do people walk cats? Yeah, yeah. Some, Some people, people do. Put a leash on her? Yeah. Yeah? Well, this cool. is a guy. The this guy is we Bagel. Have. Put a leash on him. Uh-huh. Sorry, Bagel. Didn't mean to. <laughs> Bagel's a dude, bro. No. We do have a girl, and you probably won't see her. Okay. But she, she sees you. Oh, no. Do you feel like you making that decision to not work in the field that you're in right now to focus on wrestling and your school and your family is that like you living in the moment or just planning for the future uh, a little bit of both because i'm not going to say that i'm just doing it like willy-nilly you know i know i've got a plan i've got another my gym's doing all right i think that it's um i mean you have a lot of accolades it's a great program people are understanding and this is why because of what you're talking about Miguel, people need to rebuild their life. If they don't like where they're at, it's not like they can just snap their fingers and be in a different spot. They're going to have to rebuild. I think one of the first steps to doing that is getting yourself involved in something like jujitsu or wrestling or playing the piano or figuring out how to start playing a guitar. I don't know. You know, something that you, who knows, maybe get good at curling, you know, if that's what you want to do, ice skating. But The thing that I'm really kind of emphasizing here is figure out your own learning equation. Figure out what is, you know, how you learn because learning is not unfun. Yeah, it can be challenging. Yeah, it can be tough. But anytime you've learned something, you've smiled. I got it. You know, you let, your eyes let up. Yeah. yeah Hell yeah, definitely. I know this. So it's not unfun. People have got that wrong in their head. They think it's unfun. But because... They've had to subscribe to someone else's learning equation. 
they've had to been given their whole, like, here's your pamphlet, here's your worksheet, here's this is what you're going to fill out, this is when you're going to turn it in, this is one after the other, after the other, after the other. This is how you learn, kid, right? So now with these kind of things, where it's on you, it's your own personal development, jujitsu, wrestling, you then totally develop your own learning equation. And once you have that, Gosh, you've got an internal locus of control. You've got all the power in the world. You can move mountains um, because you know how you learn. And it's fun for you to learn, right? And then you can start learning anything. Yeah. Screw it, man. Sure. I'll learn calculus. What am I going to do? Kindle. I'll rent a book on Kindle and learn, you know, calculus for economics, which I did, you know? I mean, like, you can do this stuff just because you want to if you know how you learn. So, um, you know, that's why... I can believe in it. It's not living in the moment. I know that it's a great program. It's a great concept. And it's something that gives people empowerment. Mm -hmm. And God, that fires me up, man. That's like the best thing you could ever do for someone is empower them. Make them believe in themselves. Help them accomplish whatever they want to. And uh, opening up their mind to dive into their own learning equation, whether via jujitsu with adults right now, I'm finding, man, I've got... Dude, I've got a guy that lost 65 pounds. I've got a guy that lost 40 pounds. My white belts are getting double gold. They're walking around with their eyes wide, wearing little tighter shirts, you know? They're like wearing, they're looking like 40-year-old killer dudes, you know, and excited about life. They're like, hey, man, I'm, I think I'm going to start jogging in the morning, Joe. Yeah. All right, dude, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Money, I'm... yeah, go jogging, dude. Hey, Joe, what do you think about uh, this diet? This, this is, it's all you know, vegetables and I'm eating these lean proteins. Yeah, man, do it. So I see people starting to challenge themselves to be yeah. better just because they started doing that. And yeah. then, and so I think that on your point, I, I guess I'll end with that is, dude, anyone can get to a happy spot. Anyone, you don't just have to live in the moment. You can live in your own moment, in your own learning equation, in your own reality uh, within that challenge that you have for yourself. So it's not okay to just be pissed and angry and miserable in your job it's not but you have to change you have to you have to dude go pay the rate of the jiu-jitsu gym and start learning regardless if they're a crappy jiu-jitsu gym who cares just go in there and do something do something figure out an arm bar dude figure out a kamara figure out challenge yourself yeah something figure out how to learn yeah um Funny story about that. I actually was not a good math person. Now, I'm not saying I'm the best math person right now, but um, I had a philosophy degree. That's how non-math I, <laughs> I was going yeah. for the most part. <laughs> right? I had a behavioral science degree and an associate's degree, by the way. That's not even one of the good ones. Um, You're an associate. Yeah, I'm an associate. I have enough. And they're like, be quiet, associate. I went to a place... Uh, to learn how to organize a company, develop committees, and develop leadership mm-hmm. programs within a company. And this place is called Millican. It might be one of the best companies I've ever seen in my life. These guys, and then they make everything, by the way. Millican, you don't even know them, but everything that we're sitting on, our butt touches their fabric like 60 or 70 times a day, something that they've made. And you don't wow. even know. Anyways, they call everyone they work with associates. Mm-hmm. They don't like call him friend, colleague, work. They call him, hey, we have all sorts of associates. There's an associate on the second floor. He can help you. It's interesting, huh? You know, a couple of steps to the left, you'd be called a comrade. 
Well, maybe. But I'm saying that being an associate, <laughs> an associate's degree isn't bad in all companies, you know? No, uh, no. Uh, and you know what? I actually say that it's kind of to downplay it. But I love uh, taking my behavioral science degree. I liked it all the entire yeah. time. Um, uh, at one point, I decided that I wanted to learn computer science because I felt that, you know, like I had come to a point where like I needed to do something else. Yeah. And I was just like, whatever. I'm just going to pick something that I feel like I need. And I just started picking random shit. I just went out of my, like I picked drafting because somebody had, and you know, told me, hey, Miguel, uh, there's this drafting job that you can probably get. And I was just like, all right, so I need a job. I want to get a So I went out into school. I went to the school to go to get a drafting degree. I was like a year in, and I was just like, I actually want to be a computer scientist. So I stopped doing that and then went over to be a computer scientist. This is like a 26-year-old Miguel. This is not like a very young Miguel who is just fucking picking just things out of the random, right? Yeah, but the thing is just like I just started moving. Yeah. And then one good thing led to another. Like it really was like, you know, one step was like, was like I always say that like whenever you do one good thing you always leads to another whenever you do one bad thing it leads to another you know how many times have you done like you eat a pizza pizza and you're like fuck it this is it I'm eating 10 pieces of pizza <laughs> 11 off the cliff huh yeah you just yeah. jump yeah. downward spiral it's a downward yeah. spiral and I'm gonna get a milkshake yeah, yeah. a milkshake now milkshake. I think we need to wash this pizza down with a milkshake on the opposite route of that there is the one good step leads to another like every single time that I brush my teeth I'm always like yeah good job now I can go read or something like that you know or like or what I'll do like I'll go run in the morning and then I don't want to eat you know I don't want to eat anything bad so I'm always like alright I have to make myself some kind of a kill shake that I have kale shake I like love it with box. pineapple guys kale looking, shake and pineapple oh yeah that's great pineapple's wonderful pineapple. yeah it makes it sweet you're looking all sorts of ripped Miguel thank you I've been doing deadlifts now oh that, that would definitely the, the namesake of that lift would put me in <laughs> I would be dead yeah um, I definitely I feel like I'm oh, yeah. the lower back pieces Due to some serious injuries I've sustained, I have like I've had like three lower back surgeries, and so mm-hmm. Holy shit. Uh, I can't really. I don't like to do any of those lifts. I'll do quads and my hamstrings and calves, but dude, that full deadlift thing—that's for you kind of killers. You rather short guys who are strong and. So I actually went through like a lot of like learning for the deadlift because I didn't want to get hurt because I was already hurt from my back whenever I first started to do yoga, which is what I did to... You got a yoga injury? No, no. I started to do yoga because I was hurt. Because of your back. Okay, I got you now. Yeah, I was just like, my hip was hurting and I was just like, something has to happen. And you know, I just did yoga and then that fixed everything. Honestly, that fixed a lot of my problems. And it also showed me a little bit of things that I didn't even know. Like, I really, there's something that going to yoga practice does, which kind of brings me in tune with my body. Mm-hmm. I always think of my body as like, as running either two seconds, two milliseconds behind my brain or two milliseconds ahead of my brain. Huh. But it's never aligned. You know, it's never really aligned until I do something that's so hard that I have to completely focus on it. And yoga does that. Yoga, you know, puts you in positions that you have to concentrate or you have to not even concentrate. It's kind of like you just kind of kind of be like, all right, this is it. This is what's happening. 
right and then as you're doing that your body starts like getting in tune with your mind you're like oh they're not two separate things they're like one thing and then after that it's kind of like a spirituality thing you're like ah i feel in tune with myself and the world yeah i agree with that i think that that's exactly how my initial uh feel was when i really started getting into jujitsu yes i would say this actually happens with all type of like hard sports or any kind of like definitely you know endurance yeah. you feel the definitely. same way when uh when you started wrestling i was probably too young to understand that feeling when i started wrestling man because mm-hmm. I, I started wrestling at a really early early age because uh, i was just a, a kind of strange looking kid and got picked on i suppose so um, as opposed to just fight with kids, you know, my mom put me into uh, wrestling. Good move. How did you look? I like to wear wild outfits, man. I have a, a particular flamboyant style still, and I'm not too disappointed in it. <laughs> so <laughs> let's see. The first day of uh, kindergarten, I think I was wearing cowboy boots, MC Hammer pants, and a tank top, nice. just to let them know I was there to. I was there to. You were Learn. there to like, you know, dance a little bit, but also yeah, you 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 meant business. I like that. Yeah. yeah so yeah. my my MC Hammer pants were super colorful, and that was the issue: is the kids just didn't like colors. Mm. And still, most uh, you know, I have all of my gear for my gym is really wild. I've got crazy prints and some wild stuff, and uh, you know, it's none of just flat colors. Yeah, I mean, like your logo, the Vici sign, it's like a whole bunch of different colors. You got the yellow, the gray, and the All white. All sorts of stuff, yeah, so we can put it on different uniforms and stuff. My new Louis Vuitton looking uniform is pretty cool. Oh, it's yeah. all black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, so I, I think that actually my style, it took 30 plus years for it to catch on. <laughs> but it's happening, man, and I'm really enjoying it right now because people are liking what I. You're you know, you're ahead of your time. Yeah. Thirty plus years. Thirty years ahead. Yeah. So in the '80s, it, it wasn't exactly you know really cool for a you know white kid in North Idaho to roll to kindergarten in cowboy boots and MC Hammer pants. <laughs> I mean, is it are most kids in Idaho white? Yeah, that was the thing. <laughs> they didn't, and I was the most country of all of them. All of them actually lived in the city. I lived way outside on a cattle ranch, you know. So, oh yeah, listen, sheep and shit. Yeah, man, that was uh, probably my first training partner was a sheep. But lambs are easier to wrestle when they're a little bit like when they're about 60, 70 pounds. Lambs are good. And then if you want, so then you know when I was in junior high, we had to shear uh, rams. And shear big ewes, and so when you're shearing sheep, it's like just a big sheep wrestling match in there. Idaho sounds like the, the Afghanistan of the United States. Oh, it United totally States. is. Oh, yeah. it totally is. <laughs> so, I grew up really close to this place that's called it was Ruby Ridge. Um, and you guys can look it up on Google. I don't need to go into it, but uh, basically the idea is there's constantly people in North Idaho that go there because they don't want anyone else to see them. Hmm. Hmm. be around them. it's so desolate really yeah uh it's easier to get to australia than idaho <laughs> <laughs> what yeah, so north idaho is a, a very desolate spot wow. and so there's like very few people you know and all mountains in order to, there's not like highways there's two lane roads sometimes there's a passing lane that weave in and out of the mountains all the way from well basically all the way from like boise to the top of the state, there's a two-lane road that goes up it. What? 
That's crazy, bro. Wait, did you ever drink any cow's milk straight from the cow? We we drank goat's milk. Straight from the goat? Yep, Smelly the Goat. And uh, Smelly the Goat. Yeah, we drank goat's milk. Did you ever put any alcohol in it to, like, purify it? Well, I don't know what they did. I mean, I think that they just boiled it and gave it to... So my brother was, a like, a premature kid, and mm. he couldn't eat anything except for the goat. Smelly the goat saved my brother's life, supposedly. And you hear about it all the time, that goat's milk is... There's a certain colostrum that comes out of uh, a, a goat that is just super good for mammals. Wow. Yeah, it was the only thing my brother could eat for, like, months. It was goat's milk, so... That's crazy. Yeah. He's still alive. He's kicking. He doesn't have any goats, though, but he, he runs the cattle ranch. So. <laughs> but he's the goat <laughs> so now. Yeah, still, it, it, he's still over there. Then. Yeah, yeah, that's my family, so... Um, Do you go visit yeah. very often? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm going back this spring. Um, about every two, three years. It's hard to get there, man. It really is. And if you want to go to Idaho, it's not like you can go for a weekend. You need to take a week, week and a half to go. And so with my gym, with all of the obligations that I have to people... Mm-hmm. Um, that I really do enjoy, you know, training and coaching. Uh, it's hard to take that kind of time off. Right. Um, Understandable. But Idaho's a, a, a wild, it's the Wild West. And I, I've seen some parts, like, I've heard of, like, some parts of Idaho that are just, like, beautiful. Yeah, it's the most beautiful, majestic place I've ever been in my life. Really? Yeah. I've never been to Alaska. Mm-hmm. I hear that. And I, I've been to, you know, uh, Vancouver, B.C., and Alberta, and... Uh, those places in Canada that are also just staggeringly gorgeous. But North Idaho has a certain feel to it that's... Have you been to Pasadena? Texas? Yes. I have been to Pasadena, and it's similar. It's similar <laughs> to North Idaho. A, a, a couple less mountains. Not as many, you know, trout and beautiful streams. A in lot fact, more I think taco that trucks. The, the a sh- lot more taco trucks. <laughs> yeah, the, the ship channel's kind of reminiscent of the Snake River, but... <laughs> Eh, not so much. <laughs> yeah, so it's a little different. But, you know, Idaho's a great place to be from. It's beautiful. Um, so that's where you was, learn how to wrestle. Yeah, um, it was a more of a, a trial-by-air wrestling phase at that point in time just because, you know, we had some good coaches, some guys that cared about us, but uh, they weren't, you know, former. They didn't have a huge line in college wrestling. They didn't necessarily live like that. But they gave us all of their effort, and they were great guys. I had a great coach uh, my senior year in high school. His name was Mike Randalls, um, and he really helped me a lot. Uh, I had uh, several other coaches throughout my life that helped me a lot. But, uh, you know, there was, it, dude, it was just a bunch of tough-ass country kids brawling and a couple drunk dads yelling at us. <laughs> yeah. Most that like- was and That is not a lot. There was, it's just a bunch of kids with some old logger, <laughs> farmer, cowboy drunk ass dads in there being aggressive man and we were mean and tough and aggressive go on boy wrestle that kid just some pissed of, off some of the most some of the best wrestlers are like those country kids that grew up wrestling oh for sure well okay. that culture hasn't stopped in country places there's still just this hardcore pit fight put them in there and brawl mentality that doesn't happen in my gym we build people to be confident in themselves and happy with their skill set and not afraid of their parents or performance, but excited to compete, excited to challenge themselves and excited to continue that equation of life, you know, and learning. Um, 
but they're not nearly as tough as those country kids. <laughs> they're not nearly <laughs> they're as tough. It breed. takes a whole more, it takes many, many more years to get them to that level of just straight up brutal tough. Do you want some of them to be that way? They can learn how to be that way. They can learn those fills in wrestling. They can understand that it's an athletic performance and this is the fill you have to have in this performance. And you can't be a wimp because that other guy is going to give you the same fill. You know, right? like... But it's not... To say that it's aggressive, to say that it's being mean, to say that it's being a bully, I think give it adjectives that aren't necessary. I think you need to say be creative, create your pace, have try and really exhaust them. Show them what kind of a specimen, well-trained, disciplined athlete you are. Um, but I don't think that those other words have to be used. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, it's you all shouldn't about the mentality. Hate, you shouldn't hate your opponent. Yes. You should not. You should respect them to the point that you want to show them just how much you respect them. That is how I feel 100%. Thank you for saying that. Everybody always gets on to me for me going 100% on everybody. But in reality, I'm just respecting you. Who gets on to you for that? That's why I like going with you. All those yeah. dudes that get on to you for going 100%, then they need to just stop talking because, dude, you know how many people come to the room just to roll with you? Mm-hmm. That are two hundred plus pounders. Yes, I would not. Yeah, there's a load of them, Miguel, because you challenge the heck out of us. You show us different positions that we just don't see against other two hundred pounders. And then when you get into heavy smash positions, you go with us, dude. I, I love it. I love yeah. wrestling. I love. I think it's just like a fun <laughs> way to like, you know, be creative and and show show like the different aspects and like there's different different levels of mastery and and just discovering. Uh, how uncomfortable you can be <laughs> and be okay still. Yeah. There's like moments where I'm more like, my legs are going to get split, but <laughs> I'm not going to tap though. And uh, I do tap. But. Dude, the most, I think that the most lung wrenching go I had was with you maybe a month and a half after I started. And this little, you were a purple belt then. Uh, this little Hispanic purple belt dude came up and grabbed me. Hey, you're Joe. Yeah, man, let's roll. Gosh, about two minutes later, I was, hold on, Miguel. <laughs> Come on, quit moving. I need to recover, okay? So it was, uh, and then every time you roll with you, you learn something new. So it's a fun experience, man. Yeah. I really do like rolling. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu is fun, guys. Everybody should do jiu-jitsu. As a, I should be the, the uh, spokesperson the, for it. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think that they should do it for a variety of reasons. And I think that, the most is for that learning equation so that they can figure out how to make their life positive and good anywhere they go, but also because of this competition piece, right? Uh, and some people don't like to compete. I get it. They don't want to. They're afraid of the adrenaline idea. But if you can understand how to harness your own adrenaline, yeah. and, and comp- frankly, the best route to do that is by going to competitions. Yeah, you, yeah. you have to put yourself yeah. in a situation where that constantly appears. Or getting in car wrecks. Yeah, you know, I mean, what do you want to do? Yeah, I think it's less expensive. I think it's actually less expensive to get in car wrecks than it is to do than IBJJF Open. Yeah, that might be right. That might be right. I actually gotta renew my my thing. I had a pretty good like year last year. How much does it cost to renew that every year? Fifty bucks, dude. Yeah, it's fifty bucks to renew, and then a hundred dollars for every tournament 
plus, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, hey, you got to pay us to show you that you're good. And that doesn't count if you have to travel <laughs> to go compete. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I, I mean, I, so I'm, I haven't told Pablo this because uh, I just figured it out this week, but uh, the, the, the kids' state tournament is March 7th and 8th. Um, in the Houston Open City. Dude, he's not going to be happy with me because I know he likes people to go there and win gold. But gosh, I've got like 30 kids going to Austin. I can't, you know, that's a lot of people putting a lot of resources in, paying those entry fees, getting hotel rooms, all of that. I kind of have to go there with that group. Um, But uh, I will send some of my students to the... Leave some representatives. Yeah, I'm sending a couple representatives, and I think they're big white belts, and they're all going to get gold. You know what, Um, leave leave the, what would you call... The 300, right? You're like, I'm just going to take 300 of my man for a walk. The spark 300. <laughs> well, I've got some. I, I, it's funny, but man, my room's huge. But just normal guys. We don't have like pro football players or a bunch of pro rugby guys or nothing. But it's a bunch of guys who are super strong, like former college athletes, actually. Yeah. All yeah. of them were former college athletes. And wow. they had their kids in my wrestling and then they started doing jujitsu with me. That's so awesome. yeah, they're not like pro athletes getting into jujitsu, but they're all big, monstrous, strong guys who are rolling with me. And now they're getting tough. One guy just got double gold at the grappling games. And my big guy, I call him a secret weapon because you have to deal Matt 300. Yes. I don't. He's, he's not a secret. He's a giant, you know, <laughs> but I call him the secret weapon because you roll with him, man. And he learns so fast. But he's 340 pounds. Yeah. Right? So he's pulling worm guard right now. Wow. By the way, this guy, is he's kind of a big (laughs) dude, but he's not completely, like, fat big. You know, like, some people are like, you know, like, they weigh that much, and you're like, ugh, you know, whatever. His hand weighs 50 pounds. Yeah, this this guy's just a huge dude. A giant. A true giant. He he is the kind of people that that, uh, in the Bible got... uh, got you know sent back no he's a goliath there's no doubt about it um but he's one of those guys that got in and now they're competing mm-hmm. the first time they've ever competed in one-on-one things like this you know and gosh you should see them that's so i think that that's why people need to do jujitsu as well is because it opens up that idea to where they can actually feel that adrenaline dude in a way that you're never going to feel it if you're 40 years old and not a pro athlete yeah all you right know? I, so I have a quick question. So since you do both wrestling and jiu-jitsu, there's a lot of, not controversy, but people usually have conversations when it comes to like making it, like the transition from wrestling to jiu-jitsu is a little bit easier than jiu-jitsu to wrestling. Definitely. What what do you think that happens? Because wrestlers are innately better athletes. Yes, I agree. And I don't say that in any kind of mean way or derogatory way at all. But wrestlers, the way they train, they have to be super explosive. So the, the training is what I'm saying. Not necessarily just because they're DNA. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But they train so hard for so long that when you just say, hey, here's a different rule set and here's a new technique, we already get it. All right. Those are the, those are the rules. There's the technique. Now I'm going to throw my pace on it and train it like I know how to train. And it's a seriously easy transition. Now, jujitsu people, to go to wrestling, they would have to actually learn our pace. And it's frankly too grueling. Honestly, it's what I want. I want to go ahead and start wrestling more 
Um, I've always liked wrestling. Uh, I'm not necessarily a wrestler, but I definitely look up wrestling stuff. And then I try to study wrestling movements to try to, you know, mimic it to the best of my abilities. Right. Which I feel like I'm pretty good. I'm pretty. I feel like I'm pretty good at like, like seeing someone else do a move and then kind of like decompressing it and be like, "All right, yeah. this is kind of how it would work." Um, but uh, wrestlers are always have been a problem in a tournament. Yeah. Like for me, I've always like. I remember winning probably one of my best tournaments ever, which is the Abu Dhabi Nationals, uh, the Pro Trials. They had the National Pro Trials. Yeah. They had three of them. And I won one of them. You're straight badass, Miguel. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah. I mean, look but, at those medals up there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> um, but uh, I won that one. And then the guy that stopped me for me to get the to get to the finals, to be able to uh, get, you know, the ticket to go to Abu Dhabi yeah. was a wrestler. So that, that dude straight up pinned me he literally pinned me he didn't even do jujitsu on me mm-hmm. he was just like i don't even have to try to do this other thing i could just do you in with my thing well so there's one idea that those the, the, the jujitsu guys don't understand what wrestlers are doing in that yeah they're pinning you but what they're doing is they're super controlling a position yes and that's discouraging and frustrating for a jiu-jitsu guy. And they hate me when I do that. And I try not to do it anymore because I realize I'm trying to get better at jiu-jitsu, right? Yeah. I really want to. I want to dive into that equation, have fun with it, and try and do subs if I'm on top. But if a wrestler wants to get inside control and just grab your head and your arm and lay there and pin your ass for four minutes, you've got to think. They've trained to do that for 15 plus years Yeah. You know, by the time they're getting into jiu-jitsu. So when... You know, not only have they trained themselves to be an athlete, kind of like you're doing, Miguel, like you're obviously building yourself to be an athlete and then, you know, using that kind of innately within your development in jujitsu and that, you know, the wrestlers already did that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why they can get into there. And it's, and I understand what they're doing. I don't even like to see them do that in jujitsu, but you see it. There's wrestlers that just get big and get heavy and get on top. They can, a lot, a lot of wrestlers pass guard on their knees but just have such a heavy base that you can't sweep them. Yeah. And it's boring. It really I don't want is. to take away anything from this dude. This dude straight up smashed me for like seven minutes. Oh. And it wasn't just like a, like a, I'm just going to smash you a little bit. He was kind of like letting me go and then coming back and doing it again to the point where I was just like, I will never have this happen again. That's great though. You know, oh no, I love him for that. Yeah, that's great. You know, he definitely taught me something that day. Well, you guys, uh, from 530 to 6.30 p.m., on Mondays and Wednesdays, we have a Nogi Jiu-Jitsu class in my gym, Vici, and it is a load of takedowns to guard passing to back takes, right? Because, why? Well, we're a wrestling gym, right? And if you look at anything that John Danny here says about the hierarchy of positions, I don't care who you are. Taking someone down is still within his his hierarchy positions. Get him to the mat. Get him to the mat. And, you know, because we're a wrestling gym, the best way to get him to a mat is take him down. Then progressively move through these positions. Pass guard, get to side control, get to full mount, or knee on belly, full mount, take the back, knock him out. <laughs> and that's, you know, systematically how we try and build that. Uh, but it's all with a serious wrestling base. 
So if someone wants to go check out your gym or train with you, where, where can we find it? Where can we find it? League City, Texas, yeah. League City, Texas? Yeah, Hobbs Road, League okay. City, Texas. And then vichiwrestling.net okay. is actually the, uh, the website. Perfect. And Vici Combat Sports is Instagram. All sorts of ways to figure it out, actually. Perfect. Vici. Vici, right, V-I-C-I. And then as a closing comment, tell us why you picked Vici. Um... What does it mean, and then why you picked it? I had some. I had a friend actually uh, talk to me about it, because I was kind of like, "All right, we're right by NASA." I was thinking maybe launch pad, maybe something like that. But I, I thought, man, we don't want any borders, and if someone associates us with NASA, and that's where we're at then they're mentally already building a border. That's our location. That's our geography, um, our geographical identity. And I was more under the impression that in order to make something that lasts, it has to be an idea. And Vici is maybe one of the most uh, intense ideas that have come out of, um, well, Shakespearean literature, right? Vene Vidi Vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. And if you just take the Vici out, it can appeal to anyone. I conquer. I conquer. And it has no state border, no national border, no anything. It has no mental borders. And I think anyone, ha you know, in any walk of life, in anything you do, if you just think about it, and it's like, man, all right, Vici, I got this. I conquer, man. This is a big hill, big challenge, but I'm going to conquer it. So that idea is what I was after. The idea that should, it, it, you just say it to yourself, it should fire you up. You know, and, uh, and, and, and that idea is, that you got Kobe's name up, but I, I have to give him and some other um athletes some other sports psych people credit for just having me helping me kind of develop that idea because you know mamba mentality or um the snake stabler you know he just throw for the <laughs> throw for the either the end zone every time so there's a, a bunch of people that had these just raw tough mentalities uh, and it was all based off of an idea vici Beachy, man. I like That's it, perfect. man. That's yeah. great. We'll That's end awesome. on that. Yeah. All right. That was a good podcast, guys. Thank you so much, Joe, for coming. My pleasure, um, man. I had a great time. I want you to bring Tristan next the time. Stoic. Yeah. The Stoic. Guys, we're going to have a great podcast next time. This was an awesome podcast. One more time, can you tell me your social media? Yeah. So Instagram, Vici underscore combat underscore sports. And... My coaching, uh, I'm beast trained, beast trained on Instagram. All right, guys, look them up, beast trained. Thank you so much, and have a good day, savages. Podcast out. <laughs>